Voices that inspire the extended interview. Hi, my name is Jack Rudlow, and I am the president of Gulf Specimen Marine Laboratory and Aquarium in Panacea, Florida. How long have you had the laboratory? That's a good question. Um, you know, I started it right after I got out of high school at Leon High School in 1961, and I started collecting specimens. I didn't actually have an organization or a company there. But when I had come back from the Indian Ocean Expedition, in, which is another whole story, in uh, 1965, I was able to buy a shack in Panacea, and that started the uh, – which is now our office building, much rebuilt. And uh, that was in 19 – in the uh, April of 65. So obviously you have had a long passion for – ocean life life period yes <laughs> and when how did that start growing up in new york city how did that start i don't know i think i kind of hatched out that way because when i was a little kid you know the first thing i wanted was turtles and uh, you know they used to have the little dime store turtles they called them then and the little green uh, sliders and i had a tank and my mother uh, you know let me let me have them and i had little menagerie of creatures that were there but i was also blessed that i lived right across the street from Prospect Park in Brooklyn. So there were woods to travel around. There was a lake. I mean, all of it man-made by Frank Albstead, you know, 100 years before that. And, you know, brooks with uh, water flowing through it. I didn't know they were run by big pumps and all that sort of thing, but they had crawfish in them. And, you know, all these wonderful things that were there, and I just gravitated it, and that's what I kind of built my life around it. And uh, unfortunately, it's, yeah, unfortunately or unfortunately, nothing's changed. And I... I tell people that, uh, you know, I meet people that have all kinds of jobs in their lives and everything else. I haven't had a job almost in my entire life. The last time I actually got a paycheck was at FSU. It was in 1960, and I was working at the chemistry department for Dr. Earl Frieden washing Spanish moss and doing things like that at a, for a dollar, you know, a dollar, 10 cents an hour, and that was my last job. And the rest of it, I've, I've had the worst boss of all, which is myself, and... Uh, <laughs> and my late wife, uh, you know, Anne. So, uh, you know, that's that's what it is. So, I mean, I don't know how it worked, but I've been single-focused all this time, and uh, that's what I really urge people to do is if you want something, doesn't worry about your education or everything else like that. You know, my highest and best degree is my diploma from Leon High School, and uh, I started three months of uh, FSU, and we didn't all work out. Uh, so... But my interest in marine life and interest in going out on shrimp boats and everything else like that was very exciting to me. And that was what I wanted to do and that's where the pathway followed it. So it's kind of follow your bliss and your dreams and that's what, I, that's what I've done. And I would really encourage anybody else who really wants to do something, whether it's music or art or I don't know, accounting or numbers or whatever else it is, just uh, follow, follow what you want to do. So all of these years you've been building – the your marine lab, the Gulf Specimen Marine Lab, right? And you've had countless amount of people come through. What 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 have you wanted people t to learn from having that? And what's kept you keeping okay. that that marine lab going? The main thing that's kept the marine lab going is, first of all, a fascinating fascination with nature. It's it's something I see, but I also see inherently people are attracted to it. 
and the message that we get out is to connect people with it as much as possible. Now, the simple way that we started, I started it, was biological supply, shipping specimens to schools and research laboratories and that sort of thing and going out on tide flats and shrimp boats and diving and dredging and that sort of thing and coming up with horseshoe crabs or fiddler crabs or sea urchins for embryology and so on. And it took me a while to realize that that's another way to just spread it, not just the scientific papers of which there's close to – some people say 700 papers that have come out of the specimens that we supplied over the years. But also um, it's a chance to say in a biology class in Arkansas and somebody uh, – and I've seen this happen or been told by it. You know, kids have grown up on farms, never seen the ocean. And all of a sudden, they're holding a live sea urchin and watching the spines move and getting it. it. It's an opening to the rest of the world and to essentially the alphabet of life, which is all these different creatures, whether they're bugs, worms, snails, you know, sea anemones or whatever. This is all part of the life and the planet that we live on and this stuff is precious. And then I learned that it's in jeopardy and it's in danger because – we're actually blind as a society and a world to all this diversity of life and the importance of Gulf specimen is to show people what's there. And believe me, people connect once they really see a bunch of live fiddler crabs or they get to uh, watch us you know, feed a shark or sometimes we let them do it or sometimes we get people to let people hold hands with an octopus or, or the octopus decides whether it wants to hold hands or not. But I mean the experience of you put your hands in there and then you feel these tentacles wrap around it with these suction discs. It's, it's a life-changing experience in its own right. And after you really get enough of that, you begin to realize that you want to protect that and that's the message we want to get. But sometimes it's difficult and it's complex because, all right, when you cut down the trees, so what happens? It looks like you just cut down the trees. Well, no, you haven't. You've starved the ocean of – nutrients because that was you know it dissolves leaf letters fall down it uh, gets caught up in the water system the canic acids wash out to sea that's eaten by plankton I'm learning all these little food chains and intricacies I've been very fortunate because in my education self-education but working with museums and 1300 clients over the years um, I get to learn a lot of these connections and I realize that you know, the, the, the bulldozer operators, the developers, all the other people, some of them don't care, but many of them just don't know. At least you should know what you're killing. And, uh, and, and our society doesn't allow it. I mean, unfortunately, school systems do not teach the life history of a mullet. Uh, nobody, uh, if, if I can go, you know, through K through 12 and uh, never come out with an understanding of how that shrimp that gets on your table, how, you got, how that thing spawned and reproduced and habitats that it lived in, this is the type of thing that we should be changing and we should be doing. And unfortunately, I've not been that successful in getting the school systems to adapt to it. So, But if they come to Gulf Specimen, they do adapt to it and they do learn as much as we can possibly teach them in the short time of a field trip. But we must be doing something successful because we have some schools that have been coming for over 20 years and they haven't missed a beat except for COVID, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've been there since the early 60s. You've, I'm sure, seen a lot of change. I mean, a lot of the change I've seen has been deforestation and, uh, and impacts on the coast. Uh, you know, houses are all over the place. Subdivisions are getting put in an insane level. 
the highway that's getting you know built down to the coast. I'm not that's I realize it's safety and this and that, but even bicycle trails that are ripping up pine trees and filling in marshes, and uh, this is all being done by engineers and not biologists and not people that are really working with it. And uh, you know, it, it's a little frustrating, I will admit, uh, after all these years of fighting all these environmental battles to uh, not have that happen. I mean, to to see that still going on. And I'm not sure how to change it. We're doing our best with our, you know, trying to educate people. But uh, uh, at the same time, I realize there's society and there's a lot of things that people don't know, you know, ecosystems and how they work. Even if they did, they still got a, do- you know, there's a dollar issue there and making a living. And until we restructure our society and, and really acknowledge what's happening – and then again, we have to really look as there is there is issues of global warming, whether anybody wants to you know say that or not. When I first started Gulf Specimen, I used to be out on those tide flats, freezing to death at times during the, even this time of year, and uh, and picking up stuff and all that. And we haven't had any warm weather, so the marine life is changing drastically. Heck, we were catching spiny lobsters off uh, the jetties at St Andrews Park and. In the last diving trip that our people were out there with, and uh, you know that was spiny lobsters live in South Florida, not up here. And uh, here they were practically in the uh, intertidal zone. So we're seeing changes. We're seeing mangroves, uh, red and black mangroves, springing up where there have not been mangroves before, and uh, they're finding they're growing into the marshes. So we're seeing change, and then sea level is rising, and we're seeing erosion of coastal marshes, and so the. The times they are changing, and not necessarily for the better, but there's. But then again, there were there were uh, swimming reptiles and dinosaurs and everything else up in uh, North Dakota. The biggest sea turtle in the world, Archelon, was found in uh, in South Dakota back in the you know the 1800s, and he was like 15 feet across. And I'm doing a book on a novel that involves this thing, but anyway, the whole interior of the, of the western interior seawater seaway. With, was an ocean, and uh, it's not there now. It's all you know, wastelands and deserts and and uh, woods and so on. So you're aware of the changes that are in our little tiny life cycles that we're in, but at the same time, you know, we have to try to live with what we have. And if we have good vegetation and woods and swamps, and that's what gets me. So many people love the coast and they love seafood and they love watching birds and they love all the good stuff that's down here and yet we're in the process of destroying it. So the question is how do we achieve a balance that we can have both and uh, and can we even have both? And maybe we have to say there are places you cannot build and you need to leave strips of woods and that sort of thing along the coast and you cannot build in those areas. But is the political will there? We shall see. You know. Yeah, it's it's a very frustrating cycle. It's like we... We love places to death. Yes, exactly. And we do love them to death. And uh, that's not, you know, we don't want them to die. So we need to, we need to adjust our love a little bit and, uh, and learn to live with it. Yeah. And, and it, it takes leadership. And if you don't have that kind of leadership, then these things well, become we, challenging. We try. The, the trick is to how to get the leaders to open their eyes and to look and, uh, you know, fortunate there's, you know, there's one representative that actually comes to golf specimen from time to time and brings his family and this and that and brings other legislators, you know. That's a good sign. That's a good, good hopeful thing because then we're learning. And then we have people trying to grow oysters and 
And even even people that were developers are trying to grow, you know, oysters and the idea that that's there. Well, you better start understanding water quality, what the what it takes to grow a live oyster in and what your acti activities on the shore may be impacting it. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I do see optimistic signs and I do see hopeful signs. And also I'm so really thrilled with the intern programs that we have at Gulf Specimen. We have these students from – well, they're from FSU, they're from other places, other colleges, other universities, and they come and they work at Gulf Specimen and they get like a mainline injection of marine biology like they'll never get any place else, you know, packing shipping orders, going out, getting specimens, and they, they learn a great deal. And I'm really pleased to say that many of them have been able to get jobs at uh, universities, aquariums, state government, you know, me personally, I'm a hardcore unemployable and couldn't get a job, if, never had a job, couldn't get a job if I wanted a job and all that stuff. And once I, once or twice I even tried. Uh, but nevertheless, if, if you work at Gulf Specimen and that appears on your resume and you get a letter of recommendation, I, they usually get a pretty good job out of that. And uh, so this amazes me. So how did this weirdness of me coming down to the coast, sort of being a misfit and uh, out of the, dropped out of the system and then all of a sudden we're, you know, creating this institution. And then the last uh, few years after the, uh, you know, the Phipps family was kind enough to uh, donate some funds for us to buy adjacent lands, we've been able to expand the facilities and, uh, you know, with uh, – places for some students to stay in parking lots and things like that with models and creatures and and it's sort of growing and I, I just, sometimes I just walk down there and at the lab and uh, I look at all the bustle that's going on. Sea turtles are coming in and they're getting, you know, hooks extracted or whatever, x-rayed and uh, we get um, classes coming up at the same time and then we're shipping orders out. It's a busy and crazy place at times and uh, and it all came out of, you know, my creation and then Anne, Anne Rudlow's creation, you know, and we we started it and it seems to be taking off. There's always a struggle for money and uh, – but, you know, we're just hoping we can get – continue to get support from uh, memberships and in the community. We're certainly not getting any from county government under any circumstances because I'm afraid to say we're still in an environmental war with them over the years that's been going on for over 50 years. But, uh, you know, that's the way it is. Someday we hope that will change too. Yep. So all of this work you've done and it's been decades of work you've done, what, what keeps you going? What keeps you inspired? Just life. Just, just the interest. I'll tell you what really keeps me inspired is watching those kids come to Gulf Specimen. In other words, it's, I was – sometimes I'll see kids on a school bus coming and they're, they're kind of dead and dried out, you know, tired, um, bored. Whatever. That's not the – I don't know who those kids are. I never see those kids at all. When I see a, a school bus comes up to Gulf Specimen, all I can hear is the excitement before they get there. They come spilling out there. It's everything else to try to get them to sit down long enough before they're going to get into the tanks and start picking up things. And they're just so excited and you just hear their laughing and squeals and, you know, just the happiness that they have of just meeting life meeting all these creatures and, and uh, we have these big fiberglass models of crocodiles and alligators and all that. Well, that's not, that's not for touching that, and that's not for just looking. We let them, you know, they can get on top of it. They have a, we have a giant 14-foot blue crab model that's there and I had that specially built 
so that it could be bulletproof essentially. So, you know, it'll be six or seven kids crawling around on top of this giant crab. Some of those little kids are going to remember that crab, you know. That's, that's the kind of imprinting that we're talking about. And the more we can make that experience and, and see that joy in those kids, it's hard to be, it's hard to be burned out when you see that. I mean, you may personally be burned out. I get burned out and worn out. But when you're sitting there and you're watching that kid get so excited about it, that's invigorating. That's, that's, that's you know, the energy transfers over to some degree. And there you can – so that gives me the motivation to keep on doing it and coming up with other things. Like we have a, we have a turtle clock up there now in the, uh, in the Ann Redlow classroom that we have. And this is a – uh, a, a big green turtle uh, that revolves continuously inside the face of a clock. So if you're looking up there and you're looking at this turtle turning, well, you know, I wrote a book called Time of the Turtle, and there it is. We actually have the time ticking away, turtle time, which is turtle times of sea levels rising and falling and, you know, <laughs> generations coming and going, and the turtle is still there. So that was fun to build, and it was fun to raise the money for it, and we got it done, and it's a neat thing to look at. So... That's what keeps the motivation going. I can imagine. Yeah, there is something joyful about children and seeing their excitement mm -hmm. and hoping that you're, as you say, imprinting them. So down the road, they remember. I, you can't That's do anything plan. more than that. So I, I want to get just to record a little bit about your meeting Steinbeck. John Steinbeck, yes. And how that impacted your career. Oh, that made a huge difference. Okay, uh, how I met John Steinbeck and corresponded with him. Uh, it didn't have a happy beginning because I had just been booted out of FSU and had a lot of problems with the uh, <clears throat> marine lab and the biology department and everything else. And and I was really feeling pretty low that this is kind of, you know, I want to be in biology. This is kind of the end of my life. What am I going to do? Oh, dear. And I'm, I'm what was I? I was like uh, 19 years old at the time. And I was going to the library trying to read everything I could on marine biology because I was working on shrimp boats and I would see all this stuff that was on, you know, moray eels and mantis shrimps. And I didn't know what one thing was from another. So I'm trying to read up on research. So I was reading Rachel Carson. Then I got hold of Steinbeck's book of the Log of the Sea of Cortez. Now I had read a little bit of Steinbeck, you know, I sort of knew who he was. That's about it. Um, and uh, – he described from uh, being at Stanford University with he and Ed Ricketts. Ed Ricketts was doc at Cannery Row that he wrote about. But his new old name was Riz Ricketts and he had a real company called Pacific Biological Laboratories in Monterey and they would collect specimens and make you know, starfish for schools and, and all the different creatures that were there and he, he writes about that. Well, Steinbeck worked with uh, Ed Ricketts and actually uh, Ricketts was a very strong influence on many of his characters in his novels. So – I'm reading this thing and uh, with their difficulties with Stanford objecting to them going on this expedition after he had sold the uh, – after he'd gotten paid for the, for the Grapes of Wrath. They got a big check and all that so they decided to do this expedition and they got a bunch of snorky responses from, uh, from the university there. Very similar to the stuff that I was getting at the time. So – I couldn't help it. I just wrote him a letter and said, look, uh, you know, Mr. Steinbeck, things haven't changed all that much. I went through this, that, and the other. I don't expect an answer, but I just wanted you to know that this is what uh, <clears throat> what it was like and what happened. And he said um, – I got back an immediate handwritten long letter about that saying, you know, 
carry on, don't worry about it, basically. And, and if you go on our website under golfspecimen.org and you look on the bottom part of it, it says uh, the Steinbeck Connection. And all the correspondence I had with John Steinbeck is all there for everybody to see, including some of the pictures from the log of the Sea of Cortez, which he gave me the original uh, pictures. So I essentially um, corresponded with him back and forth and shared some observations and eventually went up to New York to see him and uh, had a great time. And I'll never forget that. I came in with a, uh, a limestone rock with a, a sea whip, a gorgonian growing on it and had all these um, you know, colorful uh, soft corals that were dried up that I got off St. Teresa when they used to be those things there. They're not now. But anyway, when I got the I, – I came up to him and, he, and immediately he was very pleased to see this and he says, come on, let's go over to, come over to the light and we're sitting there and the tower is at East 72nd Street looking out over all of New York City and um, – and he immediately looks at the rock and he says, wow, this has got a lot of stuff. And he starts pointing out things like the bryozoans that were there, the serpulid worms that were crusted on there. I didn't know any of that stuff, you know. And I'm sitting there and I'm sitting there kind of with my mouth open, this guy. And, and he went in for a while getting a degree in marine biology, but he, you know, dropped out. And uh, so we got to talking and then we got to talking about writing and I said I was trying to do writing and he says, look, don't uh, don't talk to me about not being able to get published. If you're any good and you're persistent, you'll get published. If you're not, you'll, you'll just disappear. So uh, we kept going and then at the time I was trying to uh, – I was working at Harvard. I'd gotten um, – I was able to uh, bring specimens up there and exchange those for identifications. And uh, they said I could, you know, possibly go on the Indian Ocean expedition. This is uh, and collect specimens in Madagascar. And I said, "Wow, let's do that." And, and Steinbeck wrote me a letter of recommendation. And uh, you know, that was that plus the people at Harvard were able to get me in. So I've had a lot of mentors, and that's one of the most important things I want to say is over the years. The people up at Harvard, for example, there was uh, Dr. Elizabeth Dykeman studying sea cucumbers, and uh, and. You know, she took me right in. I was basically covered with tar and feathers down at Florida State University, and all of a sudden, I'm here at Harvard, and they're welcoming me and even giving me an office. and uh, And I developed kind of an, an informal education from from them, and uh, and it was really a great thing. Well, the difference is between a biology department and a museum is two different worlds, and I didn't know that at the time. But the museums are, you know, they want specimens and they want to share knowledge and do all that sort of thing. So that was really very important at the time. So I've just learned that the – I wouldn't be where I am today and, you know, with my high school education and so on if I didn't have mentors, if I didn't have people like John Steinbeck and even encouraging letters from Erskine Caldwell. And then there was a – you know, growing up, I would correspond with uh, – uh, James Kilgard, who wrote these books, Red, Big Red, about dogs, and it was, uh, you know, someone I was able to write to him and communicate and and uh, got letters back. So uh, there were all these people that kind of gave me green lights along the way, along with all the red lights that were there. And so I learned to just go around the red lights and continue on, and lo and behold, things kind of happened. So I'm very grateful to all of those people, and I'm most important thing for me is to be able to pass it on. So with the interns we have it uh, from the different universities or TCC or whatever, that's my goal is to continue to mentor as much as – mentor them as much as people mentored me. And those of you that can mentor other kids and, other, and help them, it makes a huge difference in the world. 
What do you want to leave people with as they're driving home, maybe in traffic on Thomasville Road or Crawfordville Road? What, what would you like them to know? I want them to go back to their best memories on the beach. I want them to go while you're stuck in traffic and all the other stuff like that. And if I give words of say, hurrah, save this, do that and the other, eh, that's, that's not going to go very far. Go back to your own measure, your own memory when you catch that red fish and it's on the line and it's thought and you pull up this beautiful golden fish and, and uh, you know, and, and you took it home and cooked it or something like that or you've been on the beach and you've watched, a, you know, 10,000 little coquina clams burrowing into the sand as a kid or whatever. That's what I want you to do and I want you to say we can bring that back. We don't have to be stupid. And, uh, and we're being stupid right now. We're being greedy and we're being stupid and we've, we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. We want to keep that baby and we want to keep that baby for us, for our grandkids, for their grandkids and everything else. And we can do it. We have to just be strong and willful and do what we need to do. That's what I want them to think about. All righty. Well, I want to thank you for sharing some of this with me. And I love your message. I love your passion, and that that reminder that find a mentor, mentor or mentor Mentors. someone else. If you want to make change, then you got to invest in it. And I appreciate all that you've done and what you've been able to build down there in Panacea. Well, thank you. So thanks for coming in. Hey. I'm Jack Rudlow. I'm the president of Gulf Specimen Marine Laboratory and Aquarium in Panacea, Florida. <laughs>